Thanks everyone for joining. I'm joined again by Scott Peeler and Lynn Fiorentino, two subject matter experts on government investigations and the enforcement of financial fraud. On the last episode, we talked about the PPP generally and how borrowers of all amounts need to remain diligent about how the funds are being used and understand the certifications that they made in exchange for the aid. Today, we're gonna to talk about trends with COVID-19 financial fraud enforcement at the federal and at the state level. So at the end of our last episode, we were talking about somebody who had faked their death and who fled the country. The cases so far feature pretty overt bad actors. Is yeah. the DOJ looking at any other type of fraud? Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, again, we, we, we really did talk about it at the, at the tail end of our last, uh, of our last session together about how these early cases are sort of egregious. They're so far over the line. We've seen, you know, people taking the money and buying Lamborghinis and Rolexes and things that are clearly going to get them jammed up on the criminal side. Your question is really insightful though, because I think a lot of folks watching here today are more concerned about the risk we pointed out at the beginning of our video, which is that an honest mistake or a mistake in paperwork is now suddenly being viewed skeptically, if not fraudulently by the government and the potential to have that turn into a criminal case. I think the answer is we are going to see more and more, and we already are beginning to see more and more cases of that nature, uh, of what really is the gray area uh, that we spend a lot of time talking to our clients about that's being viewed as the government is fraudulently. We have to remember that the current Attorney General, Attorney General Barr, gave very clear instructions to every United States Attorney's Office in this country months ago to go out and find fraud. When the attorney general gives a directive like that, you can rest assured that every single person in those offices has been out looking and coordinating with other federal agencies for anything that could be called fraud. And I think it's very important for folks to pay attention to that. Great point, Scott. I, you know, I, I have to highlight too, it, it's not just the individual actors you know, being prosecuted um, in these cases. Uh, we have seen also instances where people, multiple people in groups have come together and been charged with conspiracies. Um, and it can be something as, you know, there was an example where we had a nationwide scheme recently, I think it was around nine people and about 25 million in PPP loans. But what's interesting about that one is they actually submitted 90 fraudulent ap applications. So if you do the math, you know, per application, it's probably not all that huge. Um, and a lot, a lot of times people think they can get away with doing something in smaller increments like that. But again, th this group has been prosecuted and they've been prosecuted illegal kickbacks and a number of other crimes. And again, I think it's, it's really important, as you mentioned, AG Barr, to go back and, and look at the directive that's been given to these U.S. attorneys. You know, you say, telling people committing this fraud, you will be held accountable. You will be, you know, we'll find right. you. So again, we're looking now at some of the, you know, the more overt examples, but, you know, even in small increments of people working together, you know, you're just, you're going to be discovered and, and prosecuted. So this, this is a real serious thing. And, and what I'm really hearing, Lynn, is that uh, it, we're starting to see the more sophisticated schemes being uncovered. And, and that makes a lot of sense. You know, there's over 525 billion in funds that were dispersed, right. but what about activity at the state level? What kind of fraud are we seeing there? Scott, anything? Right. I, in 
Absolutely. And I wish I wish I could tell our, our viewers that they just have to worry about the federal uh, government authorities. I wish that were true. The reality is that's that's not the case. You know, I, 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 I live and practice primarily in New York. And 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 what we've been seeing, for example, if we just looked at New York State, just New York State since this pandemic began, what I can talk to you about is the fact that the New York state officials have indicated that from an unemployment stance, unemployment fraud, which is the angle they're looking at, they, they have claimed to have stopped over $1 billion or found over $1 billion in alleged unemployment fraud in the state since mid-March. They've indicated they've got 42,000 fraudulent claims that they have identified and that they're going to move on under, under, under un state unemployment fraud cases. I mean, and then on top of that, they will refer some of those cases they choose not to bring at the state level to the federal government, to the same U.S. Attorney's Office out looking for fraud. So the reality is, yes, you have to unfortunately pay attention to, and that's something we do a lot. Our, we have a lot of both former federal, state, former federal and state prosecutors uh, in, our, in our white collar team because of this exact reason. You've got to watch both very, very carefully. And that, that's a really important point you make, Scott. I, I think the longer this goes on, we're going to see more and more joint investigations uh, between right. the federal and the state law enforcement working together to prosecute this, this type of fraud. And, and it is true. And even in California, we are seeing a lot of prosecution of employment, unemployment fraud at the state level. But there are examples as well of the federal law enforcement working with the state law enforcement bodies to prosecute that unemployment insurance fraud. And one, one example that stands out for me in California was a rapper who went on a music video and admitted to have defrauding the government for about a million and a half dollars. Um, yep. Lo and behold, he was prosecuted. So this is an example here, folks, of life imitating art, but it's also a lesson in that you don't want to go out there making public statements about, you know, really anything having to do with PPP loan. Um, that's just not a wise idea. Um, but in this instance, the the rapper um, had obtained, I think it was around 90 fraudulent debit cards. And so again, this is another example of what may seem like in little incremental bits of money, um, but in totality, it was a significant number. And, you know, the guy was prosecuted for a multiple set of crimes, including access device fraud. It's kind of an interesting one. But again, we're seeing the federal and the state really work together. So as Scott, you pointed out, as, as people that have taken out these loans, you've got to focus on the federal, the federal laws, but also the state laws and what's yep. going on in both areas. That's really fascinating. And you guys bring up a really interesting uh, point, actually, Lynn, you just said it, which I think we'll be discussing in our final episode, which is statements that you're making, right? And, and you just talked right. about that rapper who is making statements on social media in his videos. And you know that people need to realize your statements on social media can likely be used in an investigation against you. So fascinating. So as a parent, businesses and individuals, who apply for aid, they need to be ready to defend, you know, the applications and their use of that aid. So join us next time for our final installment, because we're going to be talking about the best practices to avoid and mitigate governmental scrutiny and enforcement in this area. Thanks so much, Scott and Lynn. Thank you. Thanks.